Welcome, ladies, to the Real Estate Investor Show, providing inspiration, strategies, and insight to empower women investors to live balanced and financially free lives. Now, here are your co-hosts, Liz and Andressa. Stephanie Cabril is a buy-and-hold investor of single-family homes and duplexes in central Connecticut. Although she started investing a few years ago, she currently has $1.4 million in assets and a vacancy rate of less than 1%. She is a lawyer by trade that turned to real estate to improve the quality of her life. On today's episode, we cover so much with Stephanie, including how newbies can move through the fear of doing their first rehab project, how to mitigate the mistakes on that first deal how to automate and systematize your business, and the number one tip to have success with a virtual assistant. Welcome back, ladies. This is Liz. And this is Andressa. And you are back listening to the Real Estate Investor Show. And always wonderful to be here with all of you. So thanks for listening. And uh, we want to welcome Steph to our show. Hi, Steph. Hi. And uh, we're going to jump into her story in a moment. Uh, but before we go there, just wanted to share a little bit, Andressa, with you, with what's yeah. happening and, uh, you know, what, what's kind of coming up for us in our business and our life. What's so, going on? What's, <laughs> where do I start? No. Alphabetical uh, order. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we are actually, we have, a, we have an office building. It was one of our actually first buildings we purchased many moons ago. And we, you know, at first we thought we we're going to have one tenant and we ended up splitting the, the building up. And now that's very popular shared space. And, but we kind of did it before it was popular or sexy, to be honest with you. We kind of did it out of necessity, really, to be honest with you, uh, about eight years ago. So anyway, it's been shared space and about 30 offices and it's worked well over the years. But, you know, we kind of took it to a certain point. We ended up hiring a, a third-party manager to come in, help us manage the building, mm -hmm. and they had this creative idea to call it The Hive, and they're creating these in a lot of different locations in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and basically the concept will be where, you know, there is a little more of that kind of fun element. There's going to be like a pool table, and, you know, there'll be, um, you know, a happy hour on Friday. I had to check with our insurance, make sure that was okay. But, um, you know, but it, you know, all those sort of things. So people start to create like more like by memberships, not just, yeah. the, you know, the traditional office. So it's something we've always wanted to do, but because we were kind of tapped out with our focus, we took our building to, you know, where we could take it. And I, so I say that for a couple of reasons. I say sometimes with the real estate that you have, whether it's commercial, whether it's residential, it doesn't really matter. But I find that sometimes you can take it to a certain point mm -hmm. and it really makes sense to sometimes either have someone else help you with it or manage it for you or just bring some fresh eyes to it. Absolutely. And it's really been helpful. We're like, wow, that all great ideas we wish we would have thought of. Or, and I said to my, my husband, as we talked about, it, he's like, we're so, you know, we just, our, our focus is in different areas. Mm -hmm. so you can't focus on everything. So yes. The importance of partners, and we're and we're really partners with, with the the management company in the in the venture. So it's really a fifty fifty, which is they win, we win, so, sort of so so to speak. That's so, so cool, and I think that it it's great that you're talking about. You cannot focus on that part. Let other people take care of it. Be creative, implement. You you, you create those partnerships, and this is a very cool trend. You know, he embraces creativity and increases the the productivity it, it's so cool i think i think it's going to be great we can we can do an episode on just like creative ways to yeah that's a, all of the, that is a really good idea work environment absolutely absolutely or just increase your 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 
revenue in your buildings in, in different yeah. ways. Wash your, you know, the, the washing machines, things like that. But we can go down that another, another day. Another episode, but, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Steph, welcome again to the show. Uh, really happy to have you here on our, on our episode of, we're going to be going into a lot of different, hopefully directions. We have a lot of questions, you know, prepared as we looked at your bio and you just the great things you're up to. So for all the ladies listening, what compelled you to get involved in real estate investing, if you could tell us a little about your journey to, you know, to where you are today. Yeah. Um, so I really got started in real estate. It was 2012 and it was out of, uh, the desire to not pay rent, to be honest. It <laughs> was, uh, I was in a position, I think it's never a pleasure to pay rent, but particularly at that time in my life, it was just not, uh, not, a, not something that I wanted to take, take on. And I had to find another way to live in an environment that I felt good. So it was uh, actually kind of an off flippant suggestion by my parents, like, hey, why don't you buy a duplex and have somebody else pay your rent? And I cannot tell you that one suggestion completely changed my course of action. Um, I'm a lawyer by trade, but I knew even in law school that being a lawyer was not the long-term direction for me. So I was always looking for an alternative. And when I found uh, the duplex, and I actually still live in this property today. It's my first purchase. It was six years ago. Um, and it was, you know, one of the best decisions that I ever made. I continually love this house, this asset, um, this, you know, new strategy and, and way of living. Uh, but I was actually looking for a turnkey property. I didn't know that people invest in real estate. I didn't know that what I was about to do was investing in real estate. So I was just looking for a place to live that was comfortable and affordable. And every place I saw, the numbers just didn't work for me. I might as well have been paying rent. So I found a condemned duplex. This was after about like six months of searching. Um, I found a condemned duplex. It was in the center of my hometown, which is a great suburban town in Connecticut. Um, property values are strong. They're fairly, fairly well insulated from recession. Uh, as you know, as well as it can be. Um, and it was condemned. There were no floors. There were no ceilings. It had water damage. It Love that. Really <laughs> yeah. And I walked into it and I was like, this is my house. I, know it. I know it. And my real estate agent, um, thank God I, I had him. He's an investor himself. And he told me about the 203k loan. So I got into a pretty large project for my first deal. It was um, about a $50,000 renovation between the two sides. And I bought it for 133. So I was all in for about 183. And when I was done, um, it it's now worth about 250 or 260. So that really exposed me to the power of forced appreciation through renovations. Um, and I was able to do a refinance on the property fairly quickly and get out of my FHA loan. Um, and that right there also gave me a great building block for the rest of my career because the 203k loan gives you renovation experience, but in a fairly safe environment because you're doing it under the supervision of the bank. Uh, because this was a large construction project, I had uh, a consultant, a rehab consultant. So I really had someone over overseeing the contractor. Um, and I was very lucky that it was a smooth renovation process. Uh, but that's how I got started. And then it was, I think I had no vacancy for 
a year and a half. And when I first had my first vacancy um, and realized, oh my gosh, now I'm you know paying rent again. That's when I truly realized the the power of real estate and went on to uh, buy my next property and keep them filled, you know, as, as often as possible. Awesome. That's how I got my start. I, I love to hear that when you saw the condition of the property, you had the vision, how would that look like? Because sometimes people will go inside the houses to rehab and say, oh, I don't like this paint color. I don't like this handle or like very small things. Yeah. But it's hard for your first deal to really figure it out and really bypass your fears and things like that. So I'm curious to know your mindset at that time. What did you do that helped you out to overcome any fear or any concern about what could have happened? Oh, I think uh, the best thing I had going for me was I was totally naive to the potential consequences. <laughs> that <could have> happened. <laughs> um, I remember my mortgage broker, when I went in, I was like, I found the house. We need to do a big renovation. And uh, he's like, wow, you're really brave to take that on. I was like, what are you talking about? You know, what could go wrong? Um, and so I, I'm very grateful for that naivete at that time in my life. And it was a great learning experience. Um, I go into things a little bit more uh, eyes wide open now, so um, I'm not as naive, but I do think that you're, you're absolutely right. There's so many places that people can, um, can second guess themselves or, you know, the, anal the analysis paralysis uh, that comes with overthinking. And so I think ha either having, for me, I had a team in place that was a, um, they were competent, they were supportive, and they were able to get me to the finish line where all I needed to do was really decide, you know, what finishes did I want? Um, and of course I needed to be financeable, but I didn't actually make that project successful. My team did. And I've used that as, um, as a philosophy going forward is making sure that the team around me, whoever the whoever those professionals may be, I want them to be competent and serving me in the best way possible so that when I have a question, I can move forward. And, you know, things like what, what you guys are doing and putting on podcasts and having people um, with experience share those experiences with others, now all of a sudden information is available. So I've been eating up as much information as possible. And I think that's really helpful too. Yeah, you never can stop stop learning. I'm curious to circle back on the rehab consultant because you know if if people had a rehab consultant for their for their first project, I mean we would have really minimized the mistakes and all the things that happen. I mean what a what an awesome idea. So that obviously is connected to the type of loan you must have had. But I'm curious, what were the key things? So again, whether or not people have their rehab consultant, if they can get one, that'd be great. But what what can people listening to this? keep an eye out for so they can create their own rehab consultant or find their own quote unquote rehab consultant. What things did you really appreciate that this person kind of brought to the table as they nav helped you navigate this $50,000 renovation? Yeah. So this rehab consultant um, had a background in construction. They also were very familiar with the building codes to know uh, the building was used to be a commercial um, office space. So it was converted back into its original residential use. So um, we really needed to be familiar with the differences in code and make sure that we were um, applying 
residential code and making sure that any changes were made that needed to be made. Um, and I think, you know, experience is a big one. This, this consultant also had a lot of experience with this particular type of loan, which is uh, very paperwork intensive. But I think that you can, you can supplement this or find an alternative. So you're right, Liz, um, he came with the loan. He was uh, approved by the lender. Um, but I mean, you can work around that by partnering with somebody who's done construction before or by reaching out and asking them to come and walk through a property for you. Hey, what are your pitfalls? Um, you can use an inspector, right? An inspection is a great way to let you know what needs to be done and not. Um, and then also, you know, what this, what this uh, consultant did is he worked with me to oversee the contractor so that if work wasn't done to, to par, uh, he had to go fix it or redo it. And, you know, we didn't have a lot of that, but I do find now in the types of loans that I do where I'll do short-term private money, um, you know, I've got walkthroughs with my lender to get draws. And that lender also has construction experience. And so if I don't pick up on something, he will. So I still have consultants that I work with. I just don't pay them to be a consultant. They're a consultant because they're invested in my financial success because I need to pay them back, right? And so they work, uh, they work with me in that capacity as well. I think you're raising a great point because I think to your point with the private money, a lot of investors get nervous that the private lender or their partner is going to come in and pretty much tell them what to do, right? You always hear that, that, you know, if, if you're someone who's raising money and, and has private lenders, you really want to manage that and, and be very careful of how much they weigh in. But to your point, you can still establish your, your leadership role because you are the person who's taking the risk and you are, you know, so, but on the other hand, like you, Steph, Andressa and I, a project we had in Philadelphia, a gentleman who was one of our lenders in the project, uh, you know, ran a huge business in the city and said, let me know if you ever need help. Mm -hmm. I think we, we used that a couple of times. So you can really not just obviously their, now their best interest is in their best interest is help, help us and to help you, your right. the lenders, but you're, you're raising a great point. So, so as, as you're listening to this, ladies, you're, you're raising money, you're bringing private lenders in your business. Don't be afraid to establish your role, obviously. And, and also don't, you know, don't just shun any sort of involvement from your lender because if they're doing it in the right way and there's obviously kind of protocol and, and established roles, they can get a lot of value, especially if it's somebody who can add value and won't take over your project. I mean, I can't speak about that enough. I think there's always that various conversation around that particular issue. So I just want to mention that. I love yeah. that. And also another thing that I would like to leverage is the seat inspector. Sometimes we have very, you know, high concerns about, okay, he's going to come here, find all problems, and this is not going to be good. I see, I want to be there when the seat inspector is coming. First, because I want to build a relationship with them. But also, I really want to see if there's any change on the code or what would you like to be done in a different way here. Another day, they were talking about the different types of tapes that we put on the ductwork. I was like, okay, tell me more. <laughs> tell me more about it. So the, those, sir, some of the, the inspectors, I create such a great relationship that I have their cell phone number. 
Yeah. So it's, it's so helpful because I want them, okay, tell me here what's, what's the mistake. And I will make sure that this does not happen again because I will update my scope of work to make sure that that's there. And I always take a quick picture so I remember what he was talking about. And that's exactly what you, you're saying, Stephanie. Not necessarily he is a paid consultant, but he is. He's teaching me for free, basically. And I want to use him as a source for me. So we, we can always be aware the lenders, majority of them, if not all of them, have built multi-million dollars. So clearly they have the business experience and they might see some blind spot that I'm not seeing. So leveraging all those sources, I think that's, that's such a, a great point that, that you were making, Stephanie. And also working with a realtor that knows what they're doing and can tell you different options like the 203K loan. Because if you get somebody that is just, you know, what I call vanilla, <laughs> they buy and sell it and that's they just no conventional loan, 20% down that might not be the right people. So going to RIAs and really connecting with other people, because you mentioned a very good point, Stephanie, your parents gave you like one tip, one suggestion that really changed the course of, of your, you know, your life, basically life, yeah. you went to a completely different, different spot. So right now, what do you do to gain more knowledge on your next steps that, that you are where you're taking your business now, what do you do now to get more knowledge to get to where you're looking to, to be? So I, I read. Um, I also do my fair amount of networking. I host a meetup group uh, in my town and then I attend other meetup groups. I went to the Mid-Atlantic Summit. Um, and I feel like through reading and through networking, what you're doing is you're exposing yourself to people that either um, perform different strategies or they, they're way more seasoned than I am. And through connecting with them, you know, when I host my meetup, I obviously provide value because I'm bringing people together. I also serve as the point contact um, for a lot of people that are like new into the space. And I find that their questions really help me consider my own business. Um, so through, so I really think it's through networking and networking uh, when, when you've found your, niche and where you want to call home professionally isn't as bad as, you know, it's networking can be kind of a misnomer where I think a lot of people. So through networking, you're meeting people that obviously are more seasoned than you uh, and do different strategies. So you're expanding your own scope. And then through reading, you're you're exposed to mentors that you never would have been in contact with in your daily life, right? And so that's what I love about being able to take take books. So like if my mom hadn't mentioned real estate to me, I, I don't know, maybe I would have gotten there. Maybe I wouldn't have, but then all of a sudden I know now a path to go down and read more about. So networking and reading and bigger pockets uh, forum has actually, I didn't start real estate because of bigger pockets, but I have made leaps and bounds because of it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Connected me to a lot of events too. 
Yeah, no, that's, that's great. And it's continuous learning always. You know, to, to shift gears a little bit, you are an attorney by trade. And for many of us, for all of us, we, we, you know, attorneys are part of this business. And I'm curious to get inside your head because you have a unique one in that you're an investor and you're an attorney. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious to hear from you or understand, especially the ladies listening. You know, we all have to vet attorneys out, especially if, you know, and it can, depends on what we need an attorney for, right? right? So there's different different attorneys. We have literally three different attorneys we work with for three different reasons. Uh, but I, I'm curious, you know, what if, if I'm listening to this and, and, and I'm trying to really vet that attorney out, the, if attorneys are not cheap, they're worth their money, but you got to be able to really have the right one on your team. Mm-hmm. So how would you, you know, with the, with, the, with the hat that you have on as an investor, but also knowing what you know as an attorney... What would you recommend to the ladies listening? How do they vet the attorneys they're, they're interviewing to, to bring on their team the best way possible? So um, not only am I an attorney, but I do not represent myself in my own transactions. So I have hired attorneys to represent me uh, in real estate transactions. And um, Liz, I think I mentioned to you, we have a saying that if you represent yourself, you've got a fool for a client. So <laughs> you can be too close to a transaction. I, mean, I, I always oversee the process and, and review the documents. But um, what I look for is obviously experience, uh, reputation. So I want to know who's worked with this person before and what have their experiences been. Um, and then I guess one thing that I haven't I don't prioritize, but I found it to be a a tremendous benefit is when you're asking for referrals, if you get three people that that give you the same name, usually what you find is you're you're finding someone that's very well connected. And so my attorney is also um, very connected with my lender and it creates a better relationship overall. Uh, So we have independent representation, but they, you know, I know that I can call them and ask them questions and we now have just as much of a friendship and mutual respect. I also give them a lot of business because uh, people come to me, I, I don't do real estate law, so I, but people come to me because they know I'm a lawyer. So I pass on a lot of referrals. So we have a really good rapport, um, but it's through their experience and their name. And also they have multiple people in their firm so that I know if I present them with a question if that one attorney can't answer it, because no attorney can know everything, right? Uh, they have a wealth of knowledge that they can pull from. Great. I want to talk about the big elephant in the room called legal, legal Zoom. <laughs> right? Uh, we always heard, oh, I just go to Legal Zoom and just download a contract there or whatever. In, in my opinion, the price that I will pay for a mistake you might be higher than the price that I'll pay for an attorney, but that's my personal opinion. I want to hear from you. Is there any type of legal transaction that one shouldn't just go to LegalZoom and download a standard contract or there's no exception? You will highly recommend. I imagine a time that LegalZoom would be a great option because so I've never looked into legal zoom, but I think one of the values of attorneys is being able to ask them, Hey, is this applicable for my situation? Right. Does this work for me? Um, I mean, we've had attorneys come to us and say, Hey, I did a transaction that I know 
is a permissible transaction, but I didn't realize the consequences that this transaction had for your field. And so mm. now I need you to undo my transaction. And like, wow. so LegalZoom doesn't do that for you, right? It might give you a statutorily minimum document, uh, but that, but you lose the benefit of having the conversation and making sure that it's appropriate for you. Yeah, and I'll give you a quick little uh, story that we did that, <laughs> downloaded a contract uh, off LegalZoom, one of them, I don't remember. This is, this is a number of years ago with a partner, potential partner, went into partnership with, you know, on a project and it, you know, just didn't, didn't, didn't end the way, you know, we all would, would have wanted to. And, and really had to lean on the contract. I remember sending it to our attorney who we adore and he just emailed us back like, I don't understand what this is saying, unfortunately. Like he well, was, so, you know, and, and, and now we've, we've made it right working through it, but it really was such a lesson that, you know, when you partner with people, you JV with people, I mean, they're lending you money. Obviously, that's, that's, that's the easier one, but really anything you're doing has to be in writing and has to be really prepared by a um, attorney, you know, and especially with homeowners. If you're flipping property, Andres and I had a property that, you know, we flipped in Philly and homeowner, there's just some certain things that we had to make right after closing and we wanted to honor that, but we really wanted to put it in writing because we're like, yeah. we, we can't have this person keep coming back, like literally yeah. every week with something new, you bought the home, but we felt like it was the right thing to do. So we, you know, but we had our attorney draw it up and bingo, bango. And we felt more comfortable with that. Could we have saved the 500 bucks? Maybe, but we felt more comfortable and that was the right, you know, you have to make the right investment for the big picture. Yeah. And I think it's important to recognize that, uh, you know, you've got so much more flexibility and creativity in, in your own head and you're the one that knows your situation best. So, I mean, I've done leases, for example, with three month notice periods, month to month leases with three month notice periods because the tenant wanted to not be locked down. Um, but you know, that's, I don't know that there's a, and it actually had a three month notice period with de-escalating, uh, payments if she moved and couldn't find somebody. And like, you can't find a lease that says that, a generic lease that says that. So, you know, you really have to be willing to uh, rise to the, the occasion that your situation presents itself. So. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, and to, to that point with your, your portfolio, so you do buy and holds. Yep. And I think what you mentioned in one of our notes back and forth, and I think this is phenomenal, but you have, your portfolio has a vacancy rate of less than 1%. Yeah. I mean, I can't, if we polled, you know, 10 landlords, I, I don't know if, if, the, if any of those 10 landlords could say that. I mean, that's really phenomenal. So as you reflect on that, I mean, people don't think about vacancy enough when they're buying to just think about the potential right. because that's what people think about. They do their little cash flow analysis. Great. I can make this amount of money, but you have to factor in vacancy because oh, that's yeah. going to happen. Your biggest expense as a landlord yeah. because you don't so if, have the income. You've got, um, you know, just the, the expense in making the property right for the next tenant and spiffed up. I mean, the the best thing you can do is have a tenant renew their lease. Um, Absolutely. A good paying tenant renew their lease. Yeah. So, so how have you been able to do that? Yeah. That, that's a phenomenal percentage. Thank you. I've been very fortunate. Um, I think it's one because the properties that I buy, they're mostly single families or duplexes. So they tend to keep tenants longer. 
uh, there's a lower turnover rate in general than if you'd have apartments or you know six families or something like that. Um, they're in B neighborhoods generally. So you've got families that move in or couples that move in and they're comfortable. Uh, the renovations that I do, I would say that they could possibly be considered over renovating, but I really enjoy the process. And I do think that putting out a good product means you get good tenants. And a lot of my tenants, you know, they're responsible for the landscaping, for example. And so they treat it as their home. They plant roses. They do a great job making it their home. And then all of a sudden they're going to be there for three, four, five years at a time. I mean, I have properties that I've had absolutely no turnover since I bought it um, because, you know, they want to stay. They, they want to stay and they're in good neighborhoods and good tenants. And one of the other things that I've, uh, that I've learned through networking is the more positive contact you have with the tenants, the more positive they feel about their house. So starting at the very beginning from when I receive an application, I really try to make sure that all of my communication with my tenant is about their satisfaction and their happiness. My signature line is to your happiness, right? So hmm. I'm really letting them know that I want them to thrive in their home with my company, Sunrise Real Estate. And then I have checkups on them. I have automatic emails that go out after their move, the day of their move in, I welcome them home. Uh, I walk them through the property and make sure they're, they really understand it so they feel completely at home in this house. Um, and then I have, you know, a one month check-in, how's it going? Do you have any issues that are arising? So I don't want them to be silent and not let me know if there's a problem and suffer through it and then, you know, build resentment. So I find communication, I reach out and solicit, how are you doing? And then I have a six month check-in like, hey, can you believe time's flying? How are you doing? Uh, and then I send out, you know, holiday notes and things like that. Happy 4th of July from Sunrise Real Estate. Just let them know that we're here and keep putting out messages of positivity to them. It's very personal. And I think that that really matters nowadays where you are just, you know, majority of the tenants are, okay, tenant from unit number one, number two, number three, you barely know their names. I think that that makes totally difference. In your world where you have the tenants, you have your attorney business um, and everything else, outsourcing might be a very high uh, item in your, in your list. Um, I, I'm curious to know what do, you, what do you outsource right now and what type of softwares or companies do you use? Um, so the, the first thing I started outsourcing, uh, was rent collection. I thought that was the easiest decision to make. Um, and I use payyourrent.com. It's been great. I've used it. I think it's the first software I've used. I've used it continuously, uh, for probably three years, maybe, um, their customer service is good. And they also have the, uh, the option to opt into credit reporting for the tenants. So I've done lease options with a few of my tenants and a lot of them have, um, you know, not strong credit for whatever reason. And they love this feature. Not many landlords offer it. So it's a competitive advantage for me. Um, and in fact, this is kind of ironic. I do have a vacancy right now, which, yeah. <laughs> which came up since we talked, Liz. Um, <laughs> but the reason why it's vacant is because they, you know, they were not in a position to buy a house. I've had them for years, but their credit 
grew so much uh, in living with me, they went and bought a house. <laughs> so, oh, look at that. But now I have some vacancy. So uh, that's one software that I use. Um, I live and die by Podio, honestly. I use Podio for everything. And I've been um, outsourcing. So I did a lot of the like basic infrastructure, but some of the more complex issues um, I outsourced. So I outsourced building the time cards for the assistants that I have. So, so I had an assistant build a time card for my assistants. Um, I outsource. What's a time card? It's like keeping track of uh, my assistant's hours. Oh, okay. So, Literally like just tracking time. Okay. I'm like, yeah, is this yeah. like a special? Okay. Gotcha. Sorry. Now, I was... and it's a digital time card. Okay. Gotcha. So, gotcha. Sorry. Um, so I outsource having my direct mail printed and hand addressed. I have someone, you know, physically handwrite the envelopes and uh, stuff them and send them off. Um, I'm now looking to outsource my bookkeeping, which is, it, it is time. Um, I outsource. So I'm also in the process of hiring or training virtual assistants to, uh, to do most of my administrative work. So I've spent the past three years understanding how I want to manage my business, mm -hmm. um, and the policies that I want to implement and this, you know, the timing and, um, preparing my lease to the way that I want it. And so now I have a very comprehensive set of policies and standard operating procedures that I have handed over to my virtual assistant. And every week we're going through and I'm giving him one more task and we're running through, you know, practice rounds. Um, so this virtual assistant is with me. He's doing, you know, maybe one to two hours a week right now. And I definitely see that ramping up. Uh, and that's being cool. a lot more, uh, a lot more hours for them as they get more comfortable with the work that I'm doing. I see. When you talk about SOPs, I think that's such an important point because a lot of people want to outsource. However, they don't have the standard operating procedures in place. Right. So then they get frustrated because the person is might, might not be doing the way that they would do. So I think that without that, it's just, it's just like planning to fail if you Absolutely. outsource without the standard operating procedures. I'm curious to know, how did you put that in place? Did you really track your actions and really jot it down? Or did you have any other software that you used? So I, after I performed the task a few times, I would kind of like write a high level outline of what I did. Just, you know, one word, first this, then this, and this. And then I started to write instructions for myself with links to the document that I used and then instructions exactly how to complete that document. And then I took it a step further and I would do a video screen capture of me performing the task and save it. So I use Soapbox for this, which is a Google Chrome add-on, add um, which is free and mm. awesome and nice. super easy to edit. There you go. Um, yeah, because I am not technologically savvy. So the fact that I have so much technological outsourcing is pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, but so I then give the like written procedures, the links, and the video to my, uh, to my virtual assistant and have them do a dry run. And then we go back and revisit and say, okay, what was the point that was confusing or why didn't this turn out the way I expected it to? And then you've got to re revise it. So now like it really, it is very time intensive, but it's front loaded. 
So I now can just ask them, hey, prepare a lease or prepare a renewal or, hey, we got an application. I need you to take the next steps to get all of their documentation in place. And they know what to do, but it took us hours to get there, but I don't have to repeat those hours anymore. Steph, I, I, quick question about that. You know, you, you often hear, I think most people would agree that outsourcing, giving up the things that you're not good at, right? I mean, you know, I don't think most people would be like, no, that's a stupid idea. I want to do everything that I hate. I mean, no one, would, no one would say that, right? But I think for a lot of people, you know, especially what Andres and I are going through with some of our, um, our business, uh, you know, projects that we have going on, you know, you start to say, okay, there's value here. We need to do this. Okay. So we start to write the stuff down, the instructions. When you give it over to someone, what check-ins have you done? Because you and I know when you've done something yourself for a long time, you know it, you've written it down, but it's different when someone else does it. So I'm curious how, what um, strategies did you put in place, maybe ongoing communication that helped kind of mitigate those problems or, or mitigate the disconnects that can happen and quite honestly will happen. Will I mean, happen. there's no, it's not to, to say, oh, I created an SOP. Here you go. Good luck. It's just not going to happen. So I'm curious, what's worked for you? Because you're clearly doing something right. You know, what, what has worked for you in that process to make sure your instructions, your links, uh, you know, your, your videos, all, this, all the material you're putting together is yeah. clearly conveyed? Um, so, well, I start off by making sure that I'm hiring the right virtual assistant. So mm. I hired, um, to get to this one, I hired three and I had them each perform the same exact task using the same exact information to find out who asked me the best questions, who was the most responsive and who uh, did the best product, right? And so I, it really quickly went from three to two to one. Um, and the key to this virtual assistant is I pay a little bit more for him. I probably pay like a dollar fifty more per hour than I would, uh, for other virtual assistants, but he has, I don't really find that to be a problem in the scheme of things, but more importantly, um, the reason why is because he has his own company. He's the point of contact. He takes the information, makes sure that we completely agree on the process. And then he has someone assigned to me that does all of my work all the time. And so I'm getting the same person, you know, um, through the stream of things, I'm getting that same person over and over versus being moved around. So that's one is just hiring the right person with the right structure. Um, and then two, I have dry runs. So when, when I was teaching this virtual assistant how to do an application, I put in an application for myself and I said, treat it as if you're, you're vetting me and I want you to email me rather than, you know, this other tenant. So mm -hmm. I don't let the, the virtual assistant on their first try reach out to third parties. But I mean, even, even when we've given the approval and I've given them the green light, okay, yeah, you can now reach out to third parties. I still have to go back through. I just make sure I'm CC'd on everything. Um, and you know, if you want to be completely removed, you'd be BCC'd. So the person couldn't get back to you, but I'm CC'd. Um, and if I see something that doesn't look right, I just reach out and like, Hey, we're working through administrative changes. Thanks for your patience. You know, and a lot of people find it funny, honestly, that like, it's a headache for the landlord and <laughs> she's trying to grow her business. So I think that's terrific. I think that's, it's some, it's food for thought for, for the ladies listening, no matter if you have two properties, one property or hundreds of units, it's, it's something that we all need more of 
but it's really that hard work of putting it on paper, getting it documented and doing the work. So I remember chatting with you earlier, Steph, you said something really, um, really smart, uh, you know, when we talked first, or not that you're not talking wonderfully now as well, but, <laughs> but you said something, you said something really, it made a real impact on me. You said, start small. So for the ladies listening and you, you know, the ladies listening know there's something that you have to let go of. And we all have that something like, oh, I want to let go of X. Start small, start with one thing. And I think that was a great point you said. You don't have to start like, do these 19 things. Like, right. you know, you might be setting that person up to fail. So I think right. that was great advice and really um, a nice way to begin the process yeah. versus too much. And to expand on that, so I don't tend to say, all right, go vet a tenant. You know, I don't give them a big process to take on. I say, you know, ask them for their, uh, a copy of their driver's license small tasks that are easy to follow that build up to, you know, to aggregate into a process. And then they start to see how the pieces fit together. And eventually they'll be able to take over and do, you know, an entire process with multiple little steps. But in the meantime, I also think just for morale and relationship with the, with the virtual assistant, you want to make sure that you're setting them up for success. And I think the right time to implement this you know, if you, if you think that you've got a duplex and you live in it and that's just, you know, you don't need these processes, you might be right. You might not need them. But while you're in a position and it's easy to manage, I think that is the best time for you to start implementing them. You're always going to change them. But the more processes you have in place and systems that you can outsource at a small level, that's how you can scale without losing your mind, really. And so I've been able to grow from two to 10 units, uh, I, I mean, I'm a lawyer, I'm a commercial real estate agent, and I manage these units with very little time intensity. Most of my time is spent on building the process, you know, so, or finding other deals. That's great. That's awesome stuff. So the ladies listening, we probably have like 90 other questions about outsourcing because it's kind of where Andres and I are right now in yes. a lot of ways. So we'll, we'll schedule some follow-up time now. <laughs> um, but no, you've been, you've been amazing here on, on our, our show here. How can the ladies listening, if they want to get in touch with you, connect with you, you know, learn more about what you're up to, how can they do that? Yeah. Um, so they can email me. I'm at Stephanie, that's S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E at sunrisebuyshouses.com. I'm also on Bigger Pockets. I have a profile there, Stephanie Cabral. That's awesome. Yeah. For the ladies that are listening, all this great information you will find on our show notes, so don't rush. Um, now we're going to transition to our fabulous street question. Um, are you ready, though? I'm ready. Okay. The first one is, what's the most transformational book you have ever read? The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. Um, he really harps on making these systems, right? So this is how I got the idea. He wants everything to be repeatable, predictable, and delegable. Totally. Amen to that. Yeah. The second question is, what's the most powerful routine you do to create a financially free and balanced life? Mm. Um, I wake up early. Maybe not as early as Liz. <laughs> <laughs> I try to wake up around uh, 5.30 or 5.45 every morning. Um, what works for me, I'm a snoozer. Uh, so I actually <laughs> set my phone, which has my alarm, in a different room. So I have to get up. Oh, man. My room. 
uh, and shut the door behind me and go turn to go turn off my phone. So that's um, pretty much the only way I get out of bed. But once I'm up, you know, I'll do a few quick exercises to get the blood flowing. Um, either do a stretch or listen to some sort of like affirmation in the morning and then uh, do, you know, three hours work of, worth of work before anybody else is up or able to, you know, bother me. There we go. The last question is, which women, famous or not, has inspired you the most? Mm. Um, so I was matched through Collier's uh, in a women's diversity mentorship program. I was matched with Cindy Cook. Cindy is a multifamily broker, which is kind of understating how powerful she is uh, in the Phoenix market. She is a, a power broker. She's consistently the number one uh, performing female agent. And I think it was 2016, she made the Everest Club. So she was in the top five agents in all of Collier's. She is just a powerhouse of an agent um, and has created a, an incredible business for her family. And so I had the pleasure and honor of working with her for about a year in learning uh, not only underwriting skills, um, due diligence process, the substantive information about multifamily from Cindy, but one of the things that she taught me, it wasn't a formal lesson, but I just saw her interact with people and what was valuable to her and how she built her business. Networking, you know, going back to this concept of how you expand your, your sphere of influence and your education, networking for her was not about going out there and proving that she's the best agent or, you know, she didn't go out there with anything to prove. Um, networking for her is about going out and meeting friends in an industry that you truly enjoy. And mm -hmm. so she has been so successful because she's naturally there. She's, she's there because she wants to be. Um, and I think that was one of the biggest takeaways from watching her interact. So she's been a huge inspiration, both substantively and in a way of designing your life to make it so that it's fun in what you do. Beautiful. That's, that's beautiful. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for being on our show and adding all your wonderful wisdom for, and in a lot of different aspects. So thank you for being with us. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to receive updates on our next interviews, go to our website, therealestateinvestor.com. There, you can subscribe to our show, become part of our investor community, and get updates on upcoming episodes. If you like our show, please share it with other women who would benefit. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And as always, we encourage you to take one action as a result of today's show and put it into motion so you can live both a financially free and balanced life. Thanks for spending time with us. Ciao.